here we are, and welcome to another episode of the Friday Night Movie Podcast. Today, we've got back with us one of our great guests from last year, uh, one of the luminaries of not only uh, the academic world, but I would say one of our best Jewish experts on, on, on all things Jewish. Uh, uh, we've got Jonathan Bramfman, author of UBU. Uh, and uh, UBU, The Kid's Guide to Gender, Sexuality, and Family. Uh, you also um, can you can check out all of his stuff at jonathanbreffman.com. He is back with us, and it's going to be an amazing discussion because this is really the continuation of our last conversation. The first time we talked about just Jewishness in movies and television, and but we hinted at, we, we, we nibbled around the edges of Hanukkah and teen sex comedies. So Jonathan is back with us. Jonathan, we'll get to you in a moment, but thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And Lily is somewhere between locked out of her apartment and trying to get crackers, so she will <laughs> be along momentarily. Becky, who has, is watching two children by herself and nursing one of them, is very much on time. Becky, how are you doing? First of all, I love the exaggeration of that. I'm really just with the newborn nursing and the older one is out of the house with her dad right now. So it's pretty tame over here. Although, yes, I am nursing my child while podcasting, continuing to prove that I am the most hardcore podcaster. <laughs> and watch out. I also prepared for today's episode. <laughs> it's going to be so. Good. Um, we know who's winning. Before we get into the episode, Beck, I want to say a few words about a new social platform that the three of us just joined, slash I just joined and forced you guys to join, like so many things, kind of like this podcast. It was introduced to me by Ryan Walker from Beanstalk Library, one of our former guests. It is called Letterboxd, L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D. There's no E before the D. And it is an app slash website where you can catalog and rate every movie you've ever seen which immediately you know i love a good listing situation and so i don't do. know if i've listed every single movie i've ever seen by by which there are they are defined by this app which i think is connected to imdb maybe uh i have seen according to this at least 2211 films and have given star ratings to each one <laughs> and just to be clear, we are matching up the star ratings with the official Friday Night Movie um, system. So they're, they're, if we rated something 3.5 to 5 stars, that's a buy. If we rated something 3 to 2 stars, that's a rent. And below 2 stars is a meh. So uh, I hope people who are listening join us on Letterboxd and check it out. It is, is really a lot of fun. Becky, you have rated one movie. So far, I think. How... I haven't had a chance. I haven't had a chance to do a deep dive like you. But you really liked Little Women. so I really that... did like Little Women. I'm not sure I need to rate <laughs> other ones. That so far is, is at the top of my list anyway. So uh, Now, uh, Jonathan, you are back yes. here with us. The last time we saw you, it was right before the Jewish holidays. And we, again, like I said, like, like the edges of a delicious latke, we nibbled around talking about Hanukkah. How was your Hanukkah and holiday season this year? My Hanukkah was great. For the first time in years, I got to spend the whole holiday visiting family in New Jersey. We did the menorah together every night. 
the cat did the menorah with us. I'm not sure how she felt about it. Um, I also made <laughs> latkes at home and got to taste latkes made from purple potatoes, which was very exciting. So Ooh. all around, it was great. How about you? We were, well, Becky and I were together. Our families were together in Berkeley and it was lovely. We did candles every single night. I think we kept the consistent tradition of our family wasn't like amazing at giving Hanukkah presents. It was a pretty low key holiday. We had a lot of fun. My kids, the, the presents, I think at a certain point we were just grabbing things out of Becky's drawers and wrapping them and giving them as presents to the kids. Thank goodness people like Becky's in-laws brought like left gifts for our kids because at a certain point they would not have had been getting any gifts anymore. I, I feel like our family does Hanukkah very much the way it's represented on TV, which I know we'll get into later, which is that, like, we put up one sign that says Happy Hanukkah and, like, give each other, you know, like, socks and, like, pencil erasers. And, like, and, and calendar. Mom always does a calendar. And Allie believes in the calendar, too. I actually wonder if that is a binding tradition in all Hanukkah. So that is a great comment on Hanukkah, and that is a great comment on how Hanukkah is represented in pop culture. How do you guys feel about how Hanukkah is represented in television and movies? I have mixed feelings. I think that sometimes um, a lot of Jewish traditions, including Hanukkah, are presented as these annoying things that children have to put up with from their weird, out-of-touch parents. We talked a little bit about this last time when we discussed Big Mouth and its depiction right. of bar mitzvahs mm -hmm. and i think that also comes up in like the rugrats hanukkah and i mentioned rugrats because i have so many friends especially from when i worked in ohio who grew up you know never meeting a jew and their they've told me their knowledge of jewish holidays came only from the rugrats so uh <laughs> you know that's I, I, I bananas know. yeah it, it is it is what's so funny uh, is that for me like when people talk about hanukkah and christmas specials the only ones i i know of for kids are the rugrats ones they're the only ones that went back to the jewish well multiple times see to me uh, a children's show that did really well with the Jewish holidays was Lamb Chop. Um, oh, uh, and yeah. I grew up... Did Jewish holidays on that? Yeah. There is a Hanukkah and Passover episode, right? Yes. Uh, it's a DVD. It's like a double DVD set. Oh, before DVDs, I had the video cassette. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I haven't rewatched it recently, but compared to say Big Mouth, I think it did a much deeper job of educating about these holidays in a positive way. Okay, the lamb chop Hanukkah and and Passover, but I feel like that's a long time ago. I mean, lamb chop existed when my parents were kids. Perhaps maybe we need need some updated versions. Do what do you think about? I, I saw this year. I did not watch it, but you know how there are these Hallmark movies. It, within that, I believe they did a Hanukkah Christmas episode this year. Did I don't know if you read about that. So I read about it. I haven't seen it. I read my friends' comments about them on Facebook and Twitter. And um, just to pick out one point that I thought was really interesting, a number of my friends commented that these Hanukkah Hallmark movies assumed that Jewish Americans don't know anything about Christmas in the same way that Christian Americans don't know anything about <laughs> Jewish holidays. Uh, right. and like, for people who are listening who don't understand why we're backwards. laughing, it's because any any member of a minority has to understand the majority culture just in, to be able to function. It's the water you swim in. So the idea of like a relatively assimilated Jewish American not knowing what Christmas traditions are is really silly. 
<laughs> that is really funny. Okay, well, I'm um, going to go. Well, oh, oh Lily is here. I, I just want to say Lily hi because I'm here the, and listening. Lily is here. I had to for, fly in all the way from the Canary Islands for this. From <laughs> from the Cracker Store. <laughs> yes. And so I, um, I'm so sorry uh, for my tardiness, but I want to say that I wonder... I wonder how many Jews worked on that Hallmark Hanukkah thing, first of all, compared to like Sherry Lewis from Lamb Chop, who's Jewish. So maybe she brought like some authenticity to that Lamb Chop program. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. We'll see here. She's Jewish. I mean, I know, but I'm just saying I keep I'm just saying. And then and then in the Rugrats, I feel like they they, you know, don't do that bad of a job. And I feel like somebody in that mix had to have been Jewish. So I just wonder how many Jews were in the writing room for that Hallmark Hanukkah movie? I'm Who Googling said, right I bet now. Jews, yeah. I bet Jews I'm, know I'm nothing gonna, about I'm, Christmas. Let's I'm, educate them. I'm going to Or that could have just been like a studio note. You that might have not come from the writers, but that could have been, you know, a studio note going, okay, guys, it's really important. We make sure, you know. We don't want to offend the Jews by making them... Like, I assume uh, assuming that they know what Christmas is. Or no, like the Jews need to be tolerant too and they need to respect Christmas. <laughs> but I, I just want to just pull, tease out a quick point that Jonathan said about the the holidays and, and being represented. And I just, you know, I, I appreciate that Jonathan said, well, just for people who don't know, like Jews actually know a lot about Christmas because we live in this society that, you know, what, what, swim in the water that you're in. Is that the phrase you just used? I thought that was great. Yeah. Oh, thank and, you. And on the flip side, a friend of mine, after our pod, our wonderful podcast with you the last time, a dear friend of mine who's not who's Christian wrote me and she said, you know, I feel like I needed a bit more of an explanation. I don't know what you mean by Maisel being offensive to Jews. And she's like, not in an offensive way. I literally, what's offensive to you? And I was like, oh, shit. Like, we kind of, I guess, just get it in a way and, and and maybe we didn't explain it enough or don't explain it enough on the flip side and I was like well a perfect example I think what Becky's the one that really was talking about it but I, was, I think what she may have meant was the way Yom Kippur is represented and the scene when um, uh, I was going to say Jackson Pollock, Kevin Pollock is saying that he has to go to, he's going to go to work and then he'll go to shul but, like, he had to go to work and, like, don't tell anybody. And, like, they're talking about working on Gipur. And I was, like, it maybe may have come off that, like, he cares so much about money. And that's all he uh, cares about. And, like, Jews, you know, are sp- not supposed to work on Yom Kippur, but he is. Or, no, or, like, the 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 whole point of the holiday for the family is about getting the rabbi to be there, not about, like, it's just about status. It's an yeah. excuse to, to try and. I say, if you tried right. to pull that in our house growing up, you would have. <laughs> Right, but I said to her, I was like, look, when actually, you know, it could have been offensive, obviously, in many ways then. And I said to her, but when actually for Jews, it's actually, especially if you own your own business, it's really hard to grapple between, like, all these people relying on you at work, you have one of the most important holidays, sometimes you might have to, like, pop into work before going to shul, like, it's layered, and it's sort of like an inside thing, and then all of a sudden it's exposed, and so it gets complicated for the viewer, and... You know, I, I just like the thing with the with the I don't know if we can we try you'll decide when we get into this, but with the Goldbergs and representing Hanukkah, like I wonder for other people they think, wow, Jews are so cheap, they only give pencils for gifts. <laughs> and I'm like Well, I'll say I, I this. just wonder how maybe it's one seen day, from the outside. Maybe one day we'll get Nina Weinman who wrote Double Holiday 
the movie where Rebecca endures working with her colleague and rival Chris to plan the office Christmas party in hopes of getting a promotion while spending so much time together. Will they take their eyes off the prize and see each other anew? And oh my god, of- I got chills when you read that. <laughs> like maybe so, we'll get a Hanukkah story that's like that. No, that is a Hanukkah. That is the Hanukkah. Like the the cover of this movie is like two people back to back, and like one of them's back is like divide. Like they're divided, and half of the thing is Hanukkah, and the other half is Christmas. Oh. So I don't know. I don't know if your no Jews involved theory. I mean, I don't know what Nina Weinman's uh, background is, but. No, I'm just, uh, I just, or maybe Becky's <laughs> right. The studio is like, okay, whatever. We need to make it look like Jews, you know, need to learn about Christmas or whatever all right. it is. I'm going to do a quick buy, rent, meh to cap off our Hanukkah discussion. Buy, rent, meh, the Adam Sandler Hanukkah song. Ooh, which one? The first one. Let's the go original. with the original. The original. I would buy it. Because... Good. I got nervous for a second, Jonathan. <laughs> Um, well, some of the later editions have like much grosser, more misogynist jokes about some stars. So the, the first one, okay. I think, actually captures something sort of sweet about speaking to a child who may feel isolated because they're the only Jewish kid. And it, it's not necessarily about uncloseting all these Jewish stars. It's about letting this kid know, here are all these people you look up to who actually but, share but an experience. that's a great, I, I really, I mean, obviously the way you put things is excellent because Thanks. that's your job. But I think that's a fantastic <laughs> way to say it, like to to use that metaphor of like, it's not like snooping, like, you know, revealing the secret identity of all these hidden gorgeous Jews. It's, <laughs> it's you know, hey, look who else is Jewish in, in pop culture. But can you repeat, like what I saw your notes about Goldie Hawn and Paul Newman. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So there's an interesting line in the song where he says that Paul Newman and Goldie Hawn, if you put them together, they're each Jewish. But if you put them together, you would make one gorgeous looking Jew, Uh, which is so interesting because they specifically embody white Christian norms of beauty, like blonde, small nose, etc. And Paul Newman specifically was the star of the 1960 film Exodus, which was the first American movie to depict a Jewish character, Jewish male character as sexy and masculine. And it's also interesting because he and the one like Jewish female romantic lead are glowingly blonde and all the other (laughs) Jews in the movie, uh, like I think to audiences today, all the other Jews in the movie would not even be recognizable as Jewish characters. They would be read as South Asian or Arab characters. Um, So like all the other Jews in the movie are either themselves people of color or they're probably in brown face given the time period. Um, And then these two Jewish characters who are meant to be appealing to white Christian audiences are angelically blonde. Well, actually what I want to, I, I, the, the, the female lead, uh, Katie or Kitty, I forget what her name is. She's in the Kitty. She's not Jewish um, in, in the book. And so I find it even more interesting than in order for them to be love interests, it's a Jewish man who doesn't. I think look Jonathan's talking Jewish. about Karen, who's Karen. super okay, blonde. Karen is, oh, the, main, right, okay, the other main character. Oh, okay. She's because, not the love uh, interest, but she's the, the other love main story. Of, yes, you're right. You're right. Of the Paul Newman character is not Jewish. Right. And so right. then I wonder but if that's, like, a, that's, that's an excellent point. That's an excellent point, though, on that. But, exactly. But Karen, the main Israeli female character, yes, is super she blonde. is. Yeah, yes. that's true. But okay, she's not Paul Newman's love interest. No, no, she's a kid, Lily. 
Yeah, you know. No, I just mean the casting. <laughs> You're right. You know, I always lose track of heterosexuality. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's this is one the first one that comes to my mind, which I remember seeing on TV at the time, and it's from the '90s. It is Jay Thomas and Susan Day in a show oh, called Love and War. Such a weird reference. It's, it's such a bizarre. So like I'm so bizarre. sorry. I mean, Jay Thomas is adorable, but I did not even remember that show existed. And then I went on a rabbit hole on YouTube watching clips it, of it, and it was. And and there's this whole thing about him and his his non-Jewish girlfriend doing Hanukkah together. And on one hand, it was probably one of the more detailed, accurate explanations. And he actually pronounces the words relatively well, which isn't usually done. Even his girlfriend makes an effort to understand the words. And uh, at the same time, it's very much that like, almost like low key our, our holidays now granted our holiday isn't as big a deal as Christmas but there's a little bit of like shame involved there mm-hmm. uh, I rent that one for that reason I like it but when you look back at it there's just a twinge of shame in there how about did you guys get a chance to check it out yeah and I, you know I didn't I didn't maybe pick up I thought it was actually pretty cool the way he sets it all up and explains it. And then she made an effort as well. And then afterwards he's just like, no, that's it. Like, there's nothing more. Like, that's what we do. And <laughs> like, like, of that. course we know that like some people do latkes and have a party, but the truth is like, that's it. That's the essence of it. And I, and I, of course he could have elaborated more, but you know, I thought that was better than what they did on friends. Like, of course, at the time watching friends, the Hanukkah armadillo, <laughs> I thought that, of course, as a kid, I thought that was funny, but I cannot tell you how many people have come up to me today, like, since I have a kid, and said to me, oh, you, like, you don't have Santa, or you don't have the Three Kings, which is a really big deal here, and because oh. they have the Friends reference, they go, but I bet you could just get, like, a, harm- a Hanukkah armadillo, and I'm like, but I wouldn't, because that's not actually a thing, and it actually feels really <laughs> offensive now that you're saying it to me. Like, like that's not, damn it, Ross Geller, <laughs> like, I'm uh. like, funny at the time. But so I feel like compared to Jay Thomas, I was like, that was actually pretty good. That's that is a really good point. Okay, let's go to two more. The Goldbergs, my favorite. This is a buy for me. Goldbergs, a Christmas story, which is the super Hanukkah episode where they try to make Hanukkah more like Christmas. But then the grandfather shames them into respecting their traditions with the great George Siegel. Of course, that's a buy for me. How about you guys? I feel like my response to all of the Goldbergs is meh. (laughs) Okay, that's fair. You know I love them, but I love that you bring a different perspective. So hit us Um, with it. I think that's really important. Because otherwise, this would just be a Goldbergs propaganda podcast. So so, we need to balance it. Which you You have with the Goldbergs. You already have that. I've, I've just never gotten past the opening of the very first episode when the main character describes his mother as my overbearing Jewish smother. And I was like oh my God, it's the 21st century. Can we not at all question these stereotypes of Jewish femininity? Can Jewish men please stop blaming Jewish women for their own like questions about how they fit in American society and American gender? Oh, bold. The problem, I mean, it's, I it's think a really good point. It's true, it's it, a really yeah. good point. I think it comes from the... And it, I think it plays into the, what, what non-Jews expect of us, you know, and how they see us, much more even so than our own shtick in our own cultures and our own households. Mm-hmm. It, I think the fact I that mean, I am a real family, though, with a real kid who had that relationship with his mom, <laughs> there's, like, some weird truth in it, which I'm not sure no, if it makes I, it any better. Right. Mm. This doesn't mean it's untrue. It's just how you... Oh position it to the rest of the world fair now right. the last one here 
Jonathan brought to the table here. I had not heard of this at all, so you're going to have to do, give us some context Blew here. Blew my mind. Blew my mind. Don't get it. Do not get it. This is how we do it, which is was a drag. What? It's a what drag video. Yes, by it's a detox? drag video by Detox. It very by uncomfortable, who? I'm not going to lie. Detox. detox. Who is Detox? Uh, a well-known drag queen. Who is has Detox a Jewish? Video. Um, I She's don't Jewish. believe yes, so. Yes, he oh, is. Oh, he, oh, she okay, is. Me, Sorry. Let, she is Jewish. Yes. Let's see. Detox. She is. Do not, I, do not. She definitely is. <laughs> um, there's been five Jewish drag queens on RuPaul's uh, Drag Race. Uh, she was at, Detox was in season five of RuPaul's Drag Race. Although, so Detox has tweeted, I'm not Jewish. Oh. Well, that's weird because there's... I don't know. It just felt like very thing about icky. Detox's Jewish background <laughs> and her being on a list of, like, uh, the five Jewish uh, drag queens and about Judaism. That's really strange. That's right. Well, here, maybe she'll tweet us. Maybe, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. We'll, 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 we'll debate this. Either way, just looking at the context of the video... Uh, I it, I both find it hilarious because I really do like when people play with the Jewish imagery. On the other hand, there is a certain amount of like the the well, I, I thought it was pretty funny. They called the jellyfish in a jar, which must have been gefilte fish. Yeah, <laughs> that, was yeah really funny. that was very funny. I did and laugh at that. Part. What is all this starch? I'm gluten free. So there was a little bit of self Vegan mockery, which um, I thought was very funny. You know, um, uh, and I think I think. There's the. It just seemed odd that the thing that made the character in the in the video like being Jewish were some stereotypes that I'm not sure how I feel about the. I like money and I like being the best at things. Was that the, <laughs> was that the part? Which I think internally in the Jewish world could be a funny thing, but it it is uncomfortable to see. Now, when you put that in the context of a video done by a famous drag queen. It is all much funnier and seems like it all goes together a lot better. My, can I ask but you I guys, don't though? It's weird that I was like, I'm, I'm confused about this. And I'm pretty sure I'm offended, but I also really liked it. And then when I read, all, I read like three or four articles about that she's Jewish. So I was like, oh, I feel a lot better about this. Now that it's putting it, putting, put into question um, her background, which I'm asked, it should be just regardless. Like, shouldn't it not matter? And then we should be able to judge it, or does it matter if the person is Jewish mm-hmm. or not? Are we I less think, offended? I don't know if it matters in this case, to be honest, but I think it does matter. I, but Jonathan, can you give us what is the background of this, and what's your take on this video? Well, I mean, so this video in particular, what I find enjoyable about it is how it uh, kind of the butt of the joke is the dominant society's ignorance about Jews. Whereas in the Goldbergs, I often feel like the butt of the joke is these like Jews with their weird traditions that just aren't as fun as Christmas. Or like a and, big mouth. Right, so like, right. The, yeah, big mouth also. Yeah. So the moment where Detox as the you know non-Jewish girlfriend doesn't understand what Hanukkah, doesn't even understand that Hanukkah is a word. And she's like, oh, I thought he just sneezed. Sneezed. I thought that, you know, did a really effective job at kind of punching up, by which I mean making fun of like the dominant culture's ignorance rather than punching down at a minoritized group's uh, kind of marginalization. Hmm. Everyone who is listening, I hope they feel smarter every time Jonathan comes on because I had literally felt my brain growing during that last comment. <laughs> I, I will now, say that like, 
Can I just say that it is the one time I delve I delve deep into the YouTube comments mm. on the video because I think there was a chunk of people who were very offended. And then there's a whole chunk of people, Jews, who are writing in and of Jews of mo- many different types of backgrounds and sexual orientations and genders and and the and the lightheartedness of like this is hilarious. Come on, like how fun is this? And you know, it's actually really hilarious or whatever. Don't take things so seriously. And that really made me enjoy it more too, of being like, yeah. this is quite original. I'm, I mean, I love the Macca beats. I could listen to those songs all yeah. day, but it's, it's but it's fun to kind of have something very out there and different. Oh um, yeah, about Hanukkah. An, an honorable mention I have out there is it was a funnier die skit called Black and Jewish. Um, oh yeah, an honorable mention that. on intersectionality. Yes. Uh, that to me is actually uh, one of the one of the cooler um, uh, one of the cooler Hanukkah send-ups that exists i don't remember the um the artists that actually oh yeah kaylee hawk and katarina graham uh, and katarina graham plays bonnie on vampire diaries yes that 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 is according to the i did not watch vampire diaries but oh i did but you know life as a teenager can be hard and i feel like shows like vampire diaries are really important as have been so many of the teen sex comedies that we grew up with which leads us to our main topic of the day teen sex comedies we've had many questions about this this is a topic that has come up many times we've had actual teenagers on the show to ask them which kind of like now that i think about it seems like we hopefully we didn't you know traumatize anyone Let's start at the top. Jonathan, you're an expert in this. Can teen sex comedies be used to teach sex ed broadly as a genre? And if there are ones that you think are better than others, throw them in right now. Well, I think one show that's definitely trying to do that is the Netflix show Sex Education. Um, Oh, wow. And where explicitly it's a teen sex comedy that's also about educating about sex. I think probably there are other formats that can be more useful. Like now there are so many great multimedia sites, websites like Fuck Yes, that are, or Scarletine, that are made, you know, not just to be a narrative sex comedy with a little bit of sex information on the side, but actually meant to engage young people with the information they need when they need it. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Yeah, okay. So I, I, don't, see I don't think right. historically teen sex comedies. Are, should are have good examples or yeah. remotely good examples of educating but they <laughs> are still things American that pie. I mean, like yeah. truly that's it's but it's amazing yeah. how much people still learn or claim they learned from that so it's oh, an interest, I mean, but, but interesting but i but i think to jonathan's point if there's better multimedia stuff out there right now then that might be more but i that think that that's perfect of like in our generation and the one before us but definitely our like the 80s forget it god and, and <laughs> our generation a little bit better but that just goes to show you if american buy and that's great if it did like teach anybody something positive um besides you know the use of bakeries then i think that it's sort of <laughs> you know like multiple uses for a bakery besides that I'm like, well, then how bad is the, you know, the edge? What does that reflect on our society of how well the education is? If this is poor poor kids have to learn positive sex habits. Well, I have an answer for that. Right. 
um, you know, working in gender studies, some of the work I enjoy most is teaching holistic sex education. And um, consistently, my students tell horror stories about their high school sex ed. The best one I heard this year was one of my students who went to high school uh, in a rural part of a state that I won't name, uh, in which their entire high school sex ed was all the girls were sat down in one classroom. They were showed a clip from the TV series Friday Night Lights in which a young woman cheats on her boyfriend and then is publicly shamed by the whole school. The teacher then turned off the clip, turned to the girls and said, this is what happens when you have sex. And wow. that was their entire Whoa. sex education. Wow. wow. That's like... <laughs> You should have just said, I'll save you guys time. I'm not going to ruin a great show. Y'all are sluts. And <laughs> because that would have been more time oh God, efficient. That's, wow. That's, that's yeah. scary. Wow. That's scary. Then I'm like, go watch American Pie. Learn something. Did our high school even have sex ed? I don't think our high school had it. They did. They divided the boys and girls, though. We were not Mine did. And the yeah, kids no behaved like horribly. And so here's a question I have. Boys and girls were separated for sure. Here, we did not see them do the condom thing. I remember that perfectly. Because, so, like, God forbid we would have to put a condom on. Or, or, know, yeah. how, or know how one should be put on so that nobody fucks it up. Because we're the ones that we wouldn't be getting pregnant, right? So, right. like, or sexually transmitted disease. It's unbelievable. We were separated for sure. So, so Jonathan, that. that was something that was big. And it was in some ways progressive because the boys and girls could be more um, open but with nowadays, with different sexuality and gender identity in schools, would you say just keep everybody together? And how do you think you can do it in a way that kids don't explode with hormones? Because I remember now, I had a particularly badly behaved uh, high school. I had a particularly bad one. But what you know, what what can people do to keep the class in line and keep the kids from ruining it? That's a good question. So. I've always taught sex ed to either high school students or college students. So I, I'm sure that teaching it for middle schoolers comes with different behavioral challenges. But I think students know when you're being candid and when you're being ridiculous. So much high school <laughs> sex ed is like, remember, kids never have sex. Um, and like the students sense the insincerity and, and they That's sense the that point. it's so not applicable to their lives. So when... When my colleagues and I open sex ed, we often say, like, raise your hand if your high school sex ed was totally awesome. And nobody raises their hand and the whole room laughs. And it's like, okay, we can acknowledge we have all been served poorly by sex ed. And now we're going to give you great sex ed that actually helps you in in your lives. And when students have that buy-in that this information is going to be honest, is going to help them stay safe and have a great time, they are much more committed to helping the lesson go well. I mean, it can always be worse. My husband says when he was in high school, they, the teacher would be like, if you guys masturbate, you'll go blind. <laughs> 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 so don't masturbate. Okay. End of story. <laughs> right, but also don't have sex. And also we're no. not going to tell you how right. condoms work. So like, exactly. that's, what a great yeah. recipe. And, but that, I think like you're coming from a point of sincerity seems like a better position. Uh, so we talked about different, different, era or we're, we're touching on different areas when we were kids versus i would say when we were teenagers right because i think there is still a huge difference between revenge of the nerds and before that mm. animal house which are like downright destructive in the way they oh they, yeah they celebrate sexuality in fact the goldbergs has a very funny episode where 
they, he will they, win you over, Jonathan. There, there is a, there, there. Well, both in their in their sixteen candles and in their Revenge of the Nerds episode, where they're revisiting the movies that have some very questionable, particularly in the case of Revenge of the Nerds, uh, mm-hmm. sexual things. The rape scene, yes. Well, no, that yeah, no, that scene isn't referenced at all. I mean, it's the scene with the, the panty raid that they and there's and, date rape and the, and, in sixteen and the kids, candles. And the kids, instead of doing a panty raid, because they're like, this just seems wrong, they do a pantry raid, and they just steal their sister's snacks because <laughs> they can't. They think, like, wow, going through a bunch of people's underwear seems like a real violation, <laughs> and so they don't do it. And then now we've talked recently about uh, book smart blockers, mm-hmm. ones where my sisters have rightly identified, often it's the kids who are the more mature ones and the parents are the ridiculous ones and all of the more ridiculous. I wanted to ask Jonathan's opinion about blockers. So let, let's just go through how have they changed? What do, what do you guys all see as some of the major changes? Biggest threads that have changed over Less time? date rape. As a positive no, the, framing. Well, it's like the kids are modeling as, good behavior, right? I mean, like more so now. More so now. That's what I mean. No, than, no, yeah, than, no. When, than the movies of, of our teenage years and before that. Um, the kids are now it's, it's, you can sort of, I can sort of imagine the conversations with the, with the studio of whoever's producing it going, yeah, you know, that scene doesn't model good behavior in teens. That's not the messaging we want out there. You know, well, I sort of see, think there's like more accountability, um, for the people who are making the films. And let's look at, let's look at a movie like 16 Candles, where essentially, uh, drugging someone and having sex with them mm-hmm. is a is a punchline right yeah. with anthony michael hall's they character think that you're somebody else right and that's like, the same thing and then i mean it's the same thing in revenge of the nerds too i mean he he essentially right. the main character essentially has non-consexual sex with one of the other characters she doesn't know it's him then if you bump forward to american pie here's the twist that i thought about in mm-hmm. american pie it's uh what's her name from how I Met Your Mother, the band camp girl who yeah. sexually assaults Jason Biggs' sexually incapable character. And it's Stifler's mother who um, romances, or I don't know if he, she gets wooed by. Oh, it's or like woos. the women are the more aggressive one. The women are sort of the more aggressive one. And that's the that's the comedy there, isn't it? Like the, the men are kind of incompetent and the women Allison are the Allison Hannigan. Is Allison weird. Hannigan, that's it. My perception of American Pie is that there's, there's a weird pivot in the last quarter of the movie from the boys' perspective to the women's perspective. So for most of the movie, it's all about these gross teenage boys who are desperate to have sex before they graduate, and in some cases, doing really atrocious things, like Jim doing a webcam of Nadia and broadcasting right. it, and she's somehow like totally fine with this. And I think now in the era of Me Too, right. like, nobody could mm-hmm. possibly mistake that for and, being okay. And but especially that, with social media now. Like oh, what that yeah. right, right. Then it was yeah. just yeah. like one internet chat sent to school. Like, <laughs> right. And then it never would exist I mean, again. Now that's like serious forever. cyberbullying. Yeah, it's a cyber of behavior right. and... But then in the last quarter of the movie, it pivots. So it's like Alison Hannigan's character being really straightforward about what she wants. Um, it's it's the uh, older divorcee who, who gets to have the sex that she wants. And then when Oz and Jennifer. Heather, so Oz is the football player. Right. right. Chris Klein. Uh, Chris Klein and Mina Savard. And, right. Yeah. They choose so when, not to, right? No. Well, no. I think, I think no, they, they have do. sex, but they choose not to tell anyone. Right. And what's so interesting is how that 
scene is lit and makeup so differently from the rest of the film. It's suddenly this kind of soft core romancy um, scene with like soft lighting and soft music. <laughs> and so if the first three quarters of the movie is like a teenage boy's weird immature sex fantasy, that scene becomes almost like a romance novel women's sex <laughs> fantasy. It's like, right, so, guys, so, you got something for everyone here. <laughs> so well, that movie's kind of, and now we're in an era where I don't know what it's, like what it's post, but what version of the postmodern era we're in right now. But where are we now with things like Big Mouth and the way Big Mouth is att- mm. is, is is attacking sexuality, or Blockers, or um, uh, or the other one I mentioned, uh, Book Smart. Book Smart. Yeah, now it and seems. Love Simon. I feel like Love Simon oh, kind yeah. of. Love yeah. Simon was a little bit. Um, Less I would sex say it's oriented. more romantic comedy, yeah. more rom com yeah. than full on teen sex comedy. But the kids in Love Simon are like super. Most of them are like pretty good, super mature, like likable characters. Right. So where does that? Where do you? What do you guys think about that change? What What do you think is driving that change? Simply society, or just this is a mood we're in, and it will. I think Swing back to made a good point. I think that the studios, the people making these movies are more accountable with so- Twitter, with yeah. social media. Like, I, think- I don't know if they give a shit, like whatever makes money. Right. But, but I think that now they have to be more careful. And I wonder, this is a terrible question to ask, but I have to ask it. If they have to model more, better behavior and if we have to be more accountable, which in essence is better for our children, are the movies as good? <laughs> I think Booksmart is fabulous. But that's I, my okay. So I like I'm not a teenager anymore. So I well, I'm watching it as an adult, and I love Booksmart. And I thought Blockers was really interesting, but I can't enjoy it like a teen. But you're like, not I, a teen wonder, anymore. And I think that's part right. That's of what it. I'm saying. Like, well, I, maybe a question is: Are teen sex comedies ever really for teenagers, or ever just for teenagers, or is the intended audience also adults who are going to be like, "Oh my god, I remember." Like, like, like sadly, days. remember? Do you guys, you guys remember how big a deal American Pie was? That was such yeah. a big deal. Yeah. Sadly, Booksmart is not a big as big a deal as American Pie was. <laughs> That's true, but I also think we live, and especially kids now, live in such a saturated media environment. It's right. hard for anything to be that big of a deal a because, point. like, even while you're in the movie theater, you're tweeting about something else. So it's hard yeah. to like fully right. unify long term. Right. You're right. The only when had when that American one Pie came out, yeah. there was no social media the way that we know it now. There was, you know, there that was it. That was the only people outlet just, for something like that. There was no pe- YouTube. There was pe- people just talked about it. Yeah. When you mm-hmm. when you think about when you think about what like that experience. Think about when South Park came out. And then think about the fact that Big Mouth exists. If Big Mouth existed when we were teenagers, just on people, regular TV, people's head, like people's children's head, would have just exploded. it would have been the Straight biggest it. thing ever. And now yeah. it's a niche cult animated comedy point. that people who dig that deep into Netflix watch <laughs> and who are, who are mostly grownups. When I was a kid. I think I would have been traumatized. I'm not even kidding. What I, if what was if on? Big Mouth was on oh. and I was thirteen and I came upon that and I watched it in a, in a good way but I mine would have been blown I never I haven't heard people talk um, about sex that, until now like that. I haven't seen it yet but uh, maybe Jonathan you have Netflix has a new show I think it's called Sex Explained maybe that's Ooh. what it's called I'm not sure yes, and it's actually it like sex a Explained. it's like a little yeah. mini series and and it is basically a sex education show and I haven't cool. seen it yet. But I'm. I haven't but, either. That's but great. check it out. Let me know what you think. So, I'm very curious. So let's look. At, let's unpack Big Mouth for a moment. Animated series created by Nick Kroll. Uh, it 
it to me is one of the more interesting informative shows in the way it handles a lot of different issues of course it's also like really absurd and gross particularly when you have the hormone characters and some of the again the adult characters are particularly depraved um there is an element of the show though that i think is extremely educational and there's one episode in particular in the i think it's the first season and it's the one that i actually show people first when they want to know when they when they want to know, and it's the one with the theater, uh, where the the one where where with the play, and it's like there's a there's a, a con, there's a whole sexual consent episode, mm-hmm. uh, sex sexual consent. I gotta find the name, uh, the name of the episode, and and it has um the one of the voices of the main character or the the the, the, the not the main character but the main guest star is uh, a very recognizable voice and this is killing me right now so hang on one second people um, Maya Rudolph the, okay the name of the episode is the head push oh yeah no does, doesn't that take place at a party it takes us at a party but it but it yeah. but theater isn't but there's a whole theater component to it okay. right because because he's in the the visiting character is the um the the, the visiting character who is the guy who is uh pushing himself on women is the is the actor right and that's his whole bit anyways i think so okay anyways the head push do you guys all remember this episode yes yes the whole purpose the whole thing is is that he hooks up with nick kroll's character's sister and he pushes and he pushes her head down and then um he tries to essentially blame her for the behavior and then he gets called out. Oh, it's Zach Woods who does the voice. The guy who plays Gabe on on uh, The Office, mm-hmm. or is is it The Office? Or I don't know. He's in he's in. Oh yeah yeah yeah. He's on Veep he's in, and he's in and he Gabe was on, on Veep in Silicon Valley. He's Jared from Silicon Valley and um, yeah, right. That's who it is. He's Very in the new show yeah. Avenue Five. <laughs> yeah, as well. So I think that episode has an extremely powerful message about consent and behavior at a party and bystander intervention. Mm-hmm. Nothing. I don't think I'd seen anything like that. I agree. In any kind of, maybe even in an after school special, but not in a way that it was as definitely not like as that. complex as the way it is shown in that scene. And to me, of especially since my wife works in sexual assault prevention, mm-hmm. and and she has a deep belief that while she works in, in the higher education world, she believes a lot of this work needs to be done on the high school level. To me, that episode itself is something when my kids like are old enough, I want them to it. see. I agree. More than any other episodes of the show. I agree. And going back to, I think it was Lily's point about what is marketable now, what sells now, I think one effect of social media, a positive effect, is the awareness that these um, socially accountable and diverse storylines do sell well. You know, there was a time when a show like Transparent about an older Jewish transgender woman would never, would have been discounted as not marketable. Or a show like Insecure by Issa Rae about the experience of a black woman in Los Angeles. Um, Or now shows like Nora from Queens starring Aquafina, who's wonderful. Um, And so while, while a lot of those shows are more about 
gendered and racial experiences that have historically been excluded from television. There are also these more nuanced storylines like about consent in Big Mouth or the lesbian storyline in Booksmart, which is not sensationalized at all, but is really it's just, just a given. It's yeah, just, it's just a given where the straight friend turns to her, her queer friend and says, like, you got to go make out with somebody like go for it. I support you. <laughs> Um, and I, I think that is not only because studios want to be altruistic, which they probably don't always, but it's more like, <laughs> oh, because of viral YouTube success of more indie productions like The Outs, which is a queer YouTube series, it's n- people are now aware that these storylines sell. That's yes, really that that I believe is true. It's that these storylines oh, money, yeah. So what do, you, place, what do yeah. you guys think about? What do you guys think about when an an artist, uh, I believe Olivia Wilde did this with Booksmart, tells people, go out and support my movie so you can support, you know, female directors or female driven Mm -hmm. stories. Um, Do you think that is the right approach or should the market literally just decide without that um, without that instruction? Oh, so. I certainly have opinions on that. I would say, so when people say let the market decide, there's this assumption that the market is neutral and free of gender, racial, (laughs) sexual bias, which of course is is not true. So as as an example of another indie film, you all may remember when Selma Hayek played Frida Kahlo in Frida. uh, And... And Selma Hayek has written about working with Harvey Weinstein on that film and, and how he really pressured her for sexual favor, favors in order to get the film made and in order to get it released in theaters where it would have uh, good audiences like Los Angeles. So that that's an example of a woman having to navigate sexism just to get to the market in a way that men don't. Um, likewise, I know this might seem like a really different example, but in academia, men's publications are cited more often than women's, partially because men go ahead and cite their own publications in their own work, whereas uh, women do that. Yeah. They don't have so, the natural so, inkling to do that. That's fascinating. Right. But so oh, similarly, like all my professors did that. But but so people might say, well, if you're getting cited more often, it must be because you're better. Mm, not necessarily. So to go back to Shai's point, I the think market that's a, is I, not- I think that translates really well. That that's a great example. Thank um, you. That it's it's not a real reflection. Right. So well, it'll be well, like when, seeing the Academy nominations. Right. <laughs> right. Flag God. All the diverse. It's just it, it, it's a coincidence. Gosh, what is it? Stephen King that really put his foot in it. My God, what a dum dum. When he goes, well, art is art, and people are like, yeah, sure it is. But if you're not even getting like in the room, then if it's just white dudes in the room, then that's the art that you're getting. Like, there's a lot of other people who don't even get the opportunity. So I think that answers the market piece. The market isn't fair. If the market was fair, then we'd be having a different conversation. What about the artists giving that instruction? They don't necessarily have to be dependent on each other, meaning like the market on its own versus the artist. I, I on one hand, I like, I love, you know, I, I went out of my way to see, um, uh, I went out of my way to see Charlie's Angels in the theater. A, uh, uh, Allie and I dig the Charlie's Angels franchise, but also Elizabeth Banks, love her, wanted to support her. That being said, like I was a little bit turned off when she said her comments as well, only because I, I'm there to support her and I kind of know it, but I also don't want to feel like that's the reason why I'm doing it. I want to do, I want to see it because well, I, your, your movie still has to be good, like Booksmart, like Olivia Wilde, yeah. cash the check, like 
that she was telling me to go see that movie. Great movie. Good job. <laughs> Elizabeth Banks. Sure. Thank you for let, like telling me to go see your movie. But, you know, the movie was I okay. I liked that Charlie's Angels a lot. It was fun. Sure. But it didn't make a lot of money. And then she started like saying all these excuses. And then that starts to get weird for people. Yeah. <laughs> I do think something we're thinking about when a male director says, go see my movie. His maleness is an unspoken part of his authority in saying that. Even if he's not saying, see it because I'm a dude, there are a whole lot of people who wouldn't listen to him. I don't even think male movie. directors like, say, go see been, my movie. This is what I've like, been Scorsese's thinking over, is that, that they don't put say... Out. Right, like, I don't recall many instances, at least recently, of male directors saying, go support my movie because I'm... Like, they don't have to. They have a whole system behind them that says, go see their movie. I've seen male uh, actors do it. Like I've seen really Will Smith point. do it. Um, and now Will Smith is doing it with Bad Boys too. And I saw an interesting interview with him where he said, okay, guys, like before I would say, go see my movie. And like the movie wasn't that good, but I still said it. Now I'm saying with Bad Boys too, but I really mean it. And I thought, I was like, mm. seriously, dude? He's like, it's so good. We wouldn't have put it out if it didn't, you know, make a difference and blah, blah, blah. Well, he, he's had a bunch of stinkers lately. Well, he he commented on that. He said... He was asked on one of the the talk shows, like, why, why, why did you decide to make it? He goes, because I wanted to make a movie that people wanted to see. Finally, <laughs> and he just says like point blank. I mean, he, he he's I, like, I'm I, tired. He's like, no one wants to see the Pursuit of Happiness Part Two. People want to see Bad Boys, so I'm gonna make it. <laughs> I thought that was look, really funny. I've heard I've heard from the Take Two podcast guys. Uh, Tony saw it and thought it was a lot of fun, and I've been like down on it because I didn't really like Bad Boys Two, and I barely liked Bad Boys One, so. I I am not that interested in it, but I do like Will Smith's point that he's he's you know making a but but yeah he's making a point of seeing, making something people want to see. Look, well, people so got really upset. Have to motivate I'm, people to, to to engage in anything, you know, and it, that's you, what, you, you define motivation. Point. So if there There's are people so out there, hold on, if there are people out there and their motivation is to go see something because it was made by a woman or because it has a queer storyline or because it has you know. Um, uh, different uh like a you know like a, the lead character is some you know is more of like a niche market um then let that be the motivation i think it's okay to motivate people to go engage with content or to go see something it doesn't that's bother really, me in any way that is really especially when we're point. bombarded and with so much content of an, of an indie film you know it it's important to to rally your base like rally your people right you know a yeah. lot of these films start with like like that grassroots support of a yeah. certain, you know, director. Which I find interesting now. I feel like now it's more common to see that. Whereas a few years ago, I don't know if you guys remember this. Zach Braff made a movie on GoFundMe, and got tons of shit for yeah, asking yeah, people yeah, for yeah, money yeah. to make his mm. movie. And people were like, "Don't ask us to make your movie. Go get a studio to make a movie. You're famous. You have money." And I thought that that's an interesting. So, like, I, that's more complicated than just Olivia Wilde on Instagram being like, go watch my movie, Support Women. That's true. So there's a great book called Open TV by A.J. Christian, who's a film and TV professor at Northwestern. And he writes about the success of web comedy series like Insecure, for example, or The Outs. And he makes the point that um, these series have become possible through social media. And what they offer audiences is authenticity. That, you know, if, for example... Right. You are a a black woman viewer who has very rarely gotten to see positive three-dimensional representation. And then here comes Issa Rae with her awkward black girl videos. Um, This is somebody who really 
appeals to her authenticity. And then Issa Rae has been able to leverage that fan base that she got through YouTube and other social media to go to HBO and say, like, this is marketable. And that's how it became Insecure, which is now prestige television. Right. And yeah. I mean, I discovered her through Insecure and my interest in watching the show came from knowing that the lead actress was also the head writer and creator. Mm -hmm. And it's exactly that. It's authenticity. I am not a black woman living in L.A., but I am interested in authentic stories. Mm -hmm. And so I think that if I'm going to watch something where this person is starring, writing, creating it, I know there's a machine behind it. I worked in on those shows. I get how they get transformed. But at least I at least at the center of it is someone who is t who is responsible for telling this story that is meant to be representative of her place and where she comes from and her thoughts and feelings. So I think, yeah, I think making sure an audience knows who is the creator behind it is very important. Our default is that it's all made by men. So we don't have to say it's made by men. So let us know when it's not made by a white, a straight white man. I, I think I think that's right on. And I think your point about authenticity, and we've talked about this before. No, Becky, you're the one who taught me this. The more specific you make something, mm -hmm. the more relatable it actually is. This notion that something is too niche and therefore the general white audience won't appreciate it doesn't bear out. It's I mean, actually when you make something more personal. Except those Hallmark can, movies. <laughs> well, <laughs> great formula going right. there. The more oh, specific awful. you get, mm -hmm. the more broad, I, I think, the more the more broad of an appeal you have. Because, because it's people so human. Want, people, mm -hmm. want, right. people want to, if not sympathize with someone, they, we do, we, they do want to empathize, I think. I think are, that's why we engage in content. Are you know? there any teen sex comedies that are, in fact, timeless? Is there one that... This is really is hard. It, does Clueless count? Does Clueless Are count? we counting Romeo and Juliet as a teen sex comedy? Uh, it's, uh, it's by no, definition comedy. not a comedy. It's a, it's a tragedy or yeah, drama. By, <laughs> by literature definition, it's a tragedy. Uh, <laughs> no, the main um, characters die at the end because of like a miscommunication. I'm not sure it's a happy ending. Yeah, if they had texting, uh, they'd be alive. Suicide, no. Um, I do not think, I mean, I didn't think very hard on this to, to try and rack my brain for a timeless one. But my, my point of view is that they should not be timeless. If it's timeless, there's probably something wrong with it. Because our perspective on sex changes, the way we engage with it changes, and then how we are representing it on screen through characters and storylines should change and evolve. I want to look back. Okay, I think that's a great years. point. And I, and I wonder... Like our parents didn't know any better, better, so they showed us Animal House, and even Grease. And I mean, Mom told us all the time how funny Candles. Animal House was. I mean, I right. love both and, of those movies, but, but like they I didn't think know any better. They have no excuse. They, I mean, they have an excuse. Will you really let our children do? watch? Are you, right? Would you let your children watch Sixteen Candles, Animal House, Revenge of the Nerds? Uh, okay, no, so we know I, now. Well, I'm going to differ differentiate each of those. So you mentioned Greece. Greece, I already started to show my kids because of the songs and like a lot of it, like, it but they just didn't get it. They're like, why are there so many people in it? And why isn't there any talking? So they just weren't into it the first time I tried to show them <laughs> oh, Greece. I loved I, was, I think I saw that when I was four. I remember <laughs> you telling me about Greece. Uh, Animal House, I think they can see when they're older and you can and you can say, look, contextually, you may not find this funny. But I would say like the, the, the connection to Animal House we have in our time is like Super Troopers and Super Troopers 2, not um, not real teen sex comedies, meaning these like hard R-rated people behaving badly comedies. That's that's how I think I could view Animal House. But like as actual college, I'm like I would never want my kids to think that is what college is like. 
Revenge of the Nerds, which is probably one of the ones I've seen the most, is is very very just very very bad. It's very very bad, and I don't think I could don't, watch it with don't, my kids. That can die out. You don't I mean, have to show that to your I kids. I love that movie, but it is it is frozen in time. And what was the last one that you mentioned? Um, uh, well, I said Sixteen Candles. Oh, Sixteen Candles to me is of all of them like the most miserable because. A, I, I think it's like kind of a miserable story. It's like it's kind it's got I mean the that, only way to be happy is to have a boyfriend. I mean, that's pretty much it. I feel the same story. way about that as I do with Pretty and Pink. Like they're they're pretty miserable stories. It's that Knock dark ducky. John Hughes view of, of it's the dark side of his more positive side of, of childhood. And I think that the ultimate message is where these movie leaves she has no relationship with the guy that she ends up with at the end of that movie. She only has a brief interaction with him, I think at the end and, and they go out, but otherwise there's no that's 16 candles. That's 16 candles. And yeah. then in pretty in pink, like what is the message that like that rich that, guys are better? I guess that rich guys are <laughs> rich. Guys no, are... <laughs> I think the end in pretty in pink, she is authentic. To her. She, she stays, she stays she is, true he to does herself. Stand up for her. Blaine, his name is Blaine, does to that name does, you would never see in a movie. She does stand up for herself. And uh, he... I have to show the movie to my kids for so many reasons. Ducky, look what James Spader used to look like. I don't know the racism in it. Pretty in Candles. Oh, no, no, sorry. That's I mean, I'm candles. sure it's racist. Pretty in pink. Pretty in pink might have some, but you're right. Anyways, Jonathan, would you like to weigh in? <laughs> hmm. So, I mean, I think you're going to have to, like, cut and edit this part of my response because I have lost track of the question. Basically, oh, no, no, I, no, I the, ask, would you show that happens to, all your, to this generation? Would you oh, no, show any of these movies? Teen sex comedy timeless. Timeless, and then I up the ante by saying and would you even Becky said they shouldn't be timeless and I said would you sh- if they're not timeless and would you show the ones from before to kids now so I think for me this fits into the broader question of what media I would show to my kids including Disney movies like do I want my kids to see Snow White these movies are often touchstones of our culture if you don't know them you are missing out on conversations in the schoolyard um, and at the same time I think they contain harmful messages and something I'm still in the process of figuring out is how will I when I have a three-year-old kid in like a child appropriate way initiate conversations about gaining some distance from this movie that we can watch this movie and it can be fun and the songs can be fun but we don't have to believe that ariel's only option in life is to get with a man in order to be successful while having Uh, no voice no voice right while having no voice (laughs) right and and i think I, i bet there are people out there already doing neat pedagogy essentially doing the elementary school version of what i and other film studies folks do with adult college students how can we see this movie, acknowledge that it exists, participate in these cultural conversations, but not but, buy into what it's selling? Right. Yeah. I, I do have to say that I think you should branch out to elementary school, number one. Oh, number, number two. Um, well, the my, book does, right? I mean, my elementary yeah, school sure, kid read uh, UBU, sure. The Kid's Guide to Gender and Sexuality, oh, Gender, Sexuality but, and Family by Jonathan but, Brampman. Available I, on JonathanBrampman.com. And Amazon. Um, but I will say that um, I somehow got lucky that of all the Disney movies, I feel my three-year-old has honed in on and really loves, for some reason, is Beauty and the Beast. Mm. And I, like, obsessed. And um, and I 
Yeah, but he likes the farting larva show that we did the Instagram, the IGTV thing. So I'm not saying that like it reflects very much. I'm just saying that the very least while we're watching it, I could be like, I'm often like, look how much Belle likes books. And the Mm. gift that her new friend gives her is a library because she loves to read. And that's really important. And she makes a decision to leave him to go save her dad because family is the most important thing. Mm. (laughs) So I'm like trying to talk him through it. And I'm like, and the beast in the end, like it matters what you look like inside, not what you look like outside. I think the cute guy is not nice. Like I was like, okay, that's not such a bad one at least. But again, you still have to keep constantly reframing it but nobody i think but i say i say as a parent who watches a ton of movies with my kids we just spent the week marathoning back to the future one two and three and then restarted them and i think no matter what when you're watching something that is not explicitly a kid's show although even a kid's show i recommend doing this you should be watching with your kids and talking about it with them all of these things require a certain amount of conversation and have an opportunity to talk about things. Look, The Lion King was the first time I engaged my kids about death. Mm. Um, Remember the Titans and Blinded by the Light were two crucial movies for me talking about racism with my kids. And so I just don't think, I don't think people should be, should be relying only on these things anyway. And even the Mm. things that are wrong, yeah, you should be able, I mean, look, we listened to Michael Jackson in the car Mm. the other day and Mm. I made, we made very clear what, what did you say? who Michael that's, Jackson was. We said because um, I mean, that's awkward. What did you no, say? I'm just we, curious. We told him, we told them that he was a you know, a great musician, but that he did some <laughs> terrible, terrible things to people, including touching children um without their permission and in very bad ways. That's, and Oh my gosh, I wow. And and they understand that about him. And they don't really want to I mean and, and let's just say like it's not like we listen to Michael Jackson all the time in our house. They don't want to listen to his music, you know. Mm-hmm. But we weren't going to have that music pass by. Uh, and and of all of the sort of shamed people out there, that Michael Jackson is the one that I hear the art the most. Like you don't you can't even find the Cosby show. I was visiting Becky in Berkeley and I was looking at the like the mo- the TV sections like the used TV um uh, sections and you can find like horrific torture porn movies before you find uh, someone selling a copy of a Cosby show season. Um, whereas Michael Jackson, you hear at every party on every radio, no matter what it's, it's not, it's not, I think it's also, he it never, I mean, there was a documentary, which is pretty horrible, but he was acquitted in his trial and he died. And it's not like Cosby who's in jail. So I think like maybe that society can turn a blind eye or, in a weird way, glosses over. But that my, my, my point is not to judge that. It's the fact that it it won't disappear the way Cosby has. So therefore, if it's around, I got to talk to it, my kids about it. That's mm. my point. Right. And I think that's the same with any movie you decide to show your kids. Um, and I don't judge people for showing certain things to their kids. If if like I wouldn't. I mean, there's not that much I wouldn't show to my kids. But like we know. If, <laughs> but that's a good Lord thing. of the Rings. But I, 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 I think if it's it's about how you engage people. Um, is there is there before we get to Rex and shoutouts? Is there one of these movies you guys would like to reboot? And if you rebooted it, what would be the way you changed it? <laughs> this is a tough one because it's 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 hard. I mean, I think there needs to be an American Pie in every generation, whether it's. Um, uh, that's what but, I said. Like, I mean, but but, but you w- nobody would allow a movie like that now. It wouldn't happen. 
I no I mean, no neighbors. I mean for for its generation. I think what we're I think I, what I would what I would want to see is an American Pie that is more squarely taking the perspectives of as many people as possible, not just well, like the guys' movie or the girls' movie. Sex Education is a good movie. example. It's funny. It's sweet. They they talk about know. all kinds of deep dark things. I mean, I think like they could make a if they made a movie modeled off of that show for kid teenagers, it could maybe work. I would. Oh, sorry, I, I interrupted. No, no, you. go ahead. No, no, on, please. I, I, that was that was the least interrupting interruption in the history of this podcast. Don't worry. There's literal so, silence. Um, I think something we haven't touched on that could come up in a reboot is that nearly all sex comedies are based in upper middle class, primarily white high schools. So although a, a movie like Booksmart branches out by placing us in women's perspectives and having a lesbian character, we're not seeing kids who are dealing with homelessness and you know other, other real systematic. Except challenges. that movie, Kids. Sorry, which movie? Movie Kids. Not a comedy, Lily. Not a comedy. I don't know if you thought that was supposed to be a comedy. No, no, not a comedy. I guess, but I'm saying, like, can those dealing with homelessness be funny? Well, so I I suppose what you're bringing up is that movies that have touched on these structural difficulties, like Precious or Moonlight, are you know really, really essentially presented as tragedies. But I wonder if, in the same way that. The, the show and now the upcoming movie In the Heights in looks the Heights, at a neighborhood exactly. that experiences right. all kinds of struggles but still like focuses on the life and enjoyment and inner holistic lives of the characters. Right. Um, I was thinking of I, In the Heights as well. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm excited to see that movie and I wonder if there will one day be a teen comedy that is from the perspectives of like impoverished kids of color who are dealing with all kinds of structural problems and who are still like audiences still get to see beyond that flat interpretation of their lives. Because they're also all dealing with sex stuff like every other teenager. Right, like, I mean, like, misunderstandings in communications through text, or like, which many right. people experience. Right. Yes. So or I would awkward, be curious to awkward see that Awkward sex, first sexual experience moments and parties and whatever it is. I mean, yes, I think it's nailed to the white high school upper middle class. It's pretty. Um, Okay, cool. All right. Now, we've all been watching stuff in this season. We've got a few minutes left. Rex and shout outs. Jonathan, what do you got for us? I am loving the Netflix series Dairy Girls, which is a hilarious Mm -hmm. comedy set in a Catholic girls school with one boy in uh, Northwestern Ireland Ireland. uh, during the Troubles. And it's really hilarious, but also very timely now because with Brexit, there are all sorts of concerns about what's happening at that border now. Mm -hmm. In terms of movies, I loved Jojo Rabbit. What could possibly have made Hitler angrier than being played by a Jewish actor of mixed Ashkenazi and Maori New Zealander descent? And it's also... (laughs) Also a very sweet movie. And then for a throwback, I have been re-watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine on Netflix. It does really interesting stuff with race, gender, and sexuality. Although I am weirded out by the Ferengi, who are the aliens obsessed with profit. And I've realized all the actors who play them are Jewish. Because I remember that guy who owned the like either the casino or the bar yeah, or whatever. The, well, it's combined. Oh. Yeah. Oh. And, and they, um, oh, that was a does cool he also show. own a Shmata business as well? <laughs> 
there, well, there's a, there's a, there's a tailor who's definitely coded gay, but um, the, so these Ferengi characters they have they have sacred quote rules of acquisition, and they're sort of like the 613 mitzvot. vote. They recite like rule of acquisition number whatever, uh, and then they go Damn. home and visit their mother on their home world, and she's like, you could call your mother more often. Get so all out! These, all these weird Jewish tropes in the characters who are obsessed with greed and profit. So watch Damn. Deep Space Nine, and, and we'll tweet about it. But but Deep Space Nine, I remember when it came out because I loved Next Generation. And Deep Space Nine to me was – I thought it was so cool. I loved it, but I really had no idea because I was a kid when it came out. I'm watching it and I'm like, why are they always in the same place? Because it was a space <laughs> station. <laughs> it took place in a space station every week. Where's the space? Uh, that's amazing. Uh, uh, Lily, what are you watching? Well, I, I watched a documentary that if you're into surfing, it's a beautiful film. Becky recommended it. Um, it's not as good to me as uh, Andy Irons' Kiss by God, uh, which is also like, again, I have a, st- after this, I'm going straight to watch the McGregor uh, cowboy fight. So I have a bizarre part of my cult- pop culture that is surfing and uh, MMA unboxing because of my husband. Well, blink and you might miss that fight. <laughs> Well, don't say anything. I don't know anything about it. Oh, oh, I thought you already knew. Okay. No, no, I don't know. I don't know anything about it. And so what I'm saying is that, like, I every once in a while I'll have a random uh, sports doc to recommend. And Becky actually recommended her husband's into surfing as well. Uh, Momentum Generation. Uh, very cool. And, like, I think, you know, if we want to talk about masculinity, um, I think you get a perspective of these top athletes uh, who are sex symbols, especially Kelly Slater and worth a ton of money and full on like extremely vulnerable talk about really heavy, deep things and um, you get like the other side of like their upbringing and um, their bond as like this group uh, who made surfing pretty much, you know what it is for our generation. And um Maisel eh, season three. I don't know. Jonathan, Becky texted or no, Lily texted me and said I, like, I asked her it. if I should wait for Allie to watch it and she was like, nah. There's a, like gonna, is it not gonna change my opinion on the show? Because I'm totally oh, up not. for allowing that no. show to change my It'll opinion just, on the show. Maybe just that you'll think it's a bit more boring. It's just a little uh, less exciting. I mean, they should have called it season three, the musical, because there is so many friggin' musical numbers in this show that I wrote Becky. I was just like, oh, my. And that and the amount of times they talk about how they lost their fancy Upper West Side apartment. I was like, Becky, if they fucking bring up the apartment one more time, I'm going to kill myself. It's just a goddamn apartment, people. Oh, while we're talking about Mrs. Maisel, I just want to mention the work of a really great fellow professor, Grace Overbeck. So her name is Grace Overbeck. She's currently at Duke University. Uh, she writes about the real Mrs. Maisel, Jean Carroll, and you should totally check out her oh, wow. work. Wow. Amazing. That's an awesome shout out. Thank you yeah. uh, for sharing that. And so, yeah, I mean, I'll keep watching the show because I'm a fan of the show and the costumes are beautiful. Um, and I do think Susie's fantastic. And, and obviously Jane Lynch and Maisel's okay. Susie but, spinoff. Susie spinoff. I'll watch yeah, that. Like right. Better Call Saul, but, but Better Call Susie. Well, like, there is a scene, huh. I, I, I don't know. Like there's a scene where um, the mom goes back to her family in like Texas or wherever she's from. And they have like this like board of directors for like her trust like all these like Jewish guys in kippas talking. I don't know. There was like a really, to me, I felt like a very strange scene where Jews are represented. And I was just like, Hmm, not sure how I feel about that. Um, but other than that, there was not very much other offensive things. I think in the show this season, it just was a bit boring. So 
And uh, Becky, what are you watching? So I feel like we're in a little bit of an episode of The Twilight Zone or Black Mirror here because for a second week in a row, I have to give Lily an I told you show. Toma! Um, I don't. I, I never get them. It took me three, I never three tries to get show. started. But I have to tell you, I got so into The Witcher. Like, <sighs> I cannot believe how into that show. <laughs> I got I, like, like, I don't know. I did not need any supplemental reading to understand the so I have a question. Characters. I have a question. I have been pitching you guys Ash versus Evil Dead, oh, one of my up. all-time anyway, favorite shows for years. And you're watching a show no. called The Witcher with dragons and witches and supernatural, but my supernatural no, show no, wasn't No, no. It's a lot of Henry Cavill grunting and like, <laughs> like <laughs> not wearing a shirt from time to time. I'm not sure Ash versus Evil Dead has... Like a beefed up Henry Cavill being strong. I that my other I told you show was that I had been after Becky to see The Politician and then she saw it. Have you seen that show? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that show. Uh, it's been recommended to me so many times that I oh, just you haven't ha- gotten to it. You have to get to it. And you'll um, have to come back and we'll talk about it. My And then another show I've been watching, I found it on Netflix. I don't know where it comes from, though. Like what network it's on um it's called great news i think it's so funny i I've feel like that show was false, false advertising because it looks like tina fey's in it she's and in rachel she's dratch in the but last, then they're not really you know, in the she, she's in like the last couple episodes of season one and the first Before of like season right? two or something yeah she Before. appears at the end of season one but um I just honestly, I keep on thinking like, oh, this is going to get like boring or lame. This isn't so cool. And then I just laugh my face off every episode. I I am genuinely it. Nicole Richie is so good. She's so good in this show. Phrase I never thought I'd hear. She is very, very funny. I am playing to her strengths. I'm very intrigued by everything okay. you were saying. So me, I, I finished You're the Worst, and that was a big emotional journey. And uh, I did love the ending. So folks who were not sure if they were going to watch it until we said whether or not we liked it, I think all of us did really feel like it paid off well. I then, I was in this moment of like, okay, what am I going to watch next? And I decided to, I wouldn't say challenge myself, but I went with higher quality stuff than uh, than simply just dipping back into easy watching shows so i watched barry season two again in a day not even like barry barry season two a day and a half barry is a show that i can absorb at like lightning years pace it is such a great show amazing acting very dark it's definitely going into fargo territory there's not going to be a happy ending there can't be a happy ending to this show but i love everything about it um then i was because i've been so deep into letterboxd i've been just going down the rabbit hole of what movies haven't I seen, <laughs> which there are many I haven't seen, but certain things just kind of pop up. And uh, I, this movie, the man who killed Hitler and then the Bigfoot starring Sam Neill, which is about a, uh, it's a movie dad would like. So whoever sees dad next should recommend this movie to him. Sam Neill plays an old war veteran who, who killed Hitler um, on a secret mission and who it then needs to is brought back to track Bigfoot, but it's not a monster movie. It's actually a very slow movie about a man thinking about his life and his mortality. It is totally. It's it sounds almost like, like the an old worst Western. movie ever. It's but it's Sam Neill at his best, and I would give it. It's a solid rent in the sense that I, I feel think like I if you're going to recommend anything by Sam Neill, you have to that he was in. You have to recommend Hunt for the Wilder People. Sorry, not Sam Neill. Sam Elliott. 
Oh, oh man, okay. that's right. Well, now I, nobody's listening. Uh, you don't <laughs> love Sam Elliott? Here, no one's paying attention. Sam Neill <laughs> was in the Hunt for the Wilder People, which is amazing and a buy. And you guys recommended that to me. And wow, what a special, amazing movie! Taiko Waititi, let him make all the movies. I don't know if there's anybody else who can make all of the movies like him. Agreed. He can make Completely comedies. Agreed. He can make Thor action Ragnarok. Movies. Yeah, Thor Ragnarok. Just give him, let him be the guy in charge of Star Wars. I'm sure he's too busy to do it, but whatever. Even and on top of that, he's putting Mark Hamill in what we do in the Shadows, uh, season two or, or or episode two, whatever. But like he he's probably going to use Mark Hamill better than Ryan Johnson did. Ugh. Oh, anyway. for sure he will. For sure, for sure he will. And then at the recommendation of the Take Two guys, who said uh, Tony said this was like his best show of the year, I started Watchmen on HBO. Mm-hmm. And the first oh, episode was great reviews. Gripping. I mean, Regina King. Wow, she's so great. Um, and I love seeing her in this in this lead role. So that's where I'm at. Now let's uh, let's talk about where people can follow people. Uh, Jonathan, uh, other than JonathanBrandman.com, where should people follow you? You can follow me on Twitter at at John Brandman. J O N B R A N F M A N. And do you have anything coming up? Any like new books that like, is there a sequel to UBU coming out or anything like that? Uh, yes. I have sent the publisher a manuscript for a children's book on race Woo! and anti-racism. So Amazing. It's- Very cool. Thank you. Can't That's wait to awesome. order that. Can't, Thank you. Cannot wait. Uh, Becky, where can people follow you? You can follow me on Twitter and on Letterboxd at paper bk princess you my sister get the prize for the most hardcore because you you knew i wanted you to do that and mention letterboxd and you did and that's amazing i Lily, mean not much to see on my account right now but you can you, follow me you can you can follow me on, on letterboxd and read my thrilling one sentence review of mall rats and see my top movies at chichi c-h-i-c-h-i-k gomez on Twitter and, and Letterboxd. And you can follow me at Pancake for Table on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where I have rated 2,100 and something <laughs> movies. And, I did uh, the math. Divided over 40 years, it's like a movie a week, which seems reasonable. Yeah. I, <laughs> 40 years, that's including <laughs> when I was a baby, Becky. Yeah, including from the day you were born. <laughs> which is probably when my mom and dad started me watching movies. <laughs> And, but there's also a lot that I forgot. I have not rated any movie that I'm not sure if I remember seeing, I mean, I, and, or that I haven't seen the whole thing. So I don't, uh, or I didn't like actively walk out. Like Which Destiny makes turns in the me like one worried that you rated that many. Um, and I've started doing lists. Which is like because I rated all the movies I remember, so now I'm like, what am I going to do now? I'm making lists, so I made a list of <laughs> my God, uh, my top. Have my rankings and of the Star just Wars. Just to be movies. clear, you have a job and two children, right? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I just do this like on the run. It helps okay. me. It helps me focus. And uh, our theme song is by uh, What Does It Eat, and uh, it will kick in now. And you can follow all of our shenanigans at FridayNightMoviePod.com, at FridayNightMovie on Twitter and Instagram. And thank you so much, Jonathan Brantman, for so being here. Again. We love Lighting having you. We us. can't wait to have you back. And uh, Lily and Becky, I love you, and it was great to see you. I love you, John. Great to see you all. Thank you. Bye. Bye.